would I rather be feared or loved? Um, easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Hey, what's going on everyone? It's Emiliano here, and in this episode I have the pleasure to interview Alan Stein Jr. Alan is a successful business owner and veteran basketball performance coach. He spent 15 years working with the highest performing athletes on the planet, including NBA superstars Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, and Kobe Bryant. Alan is also the author of Raise Your Game, Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. During our conversation, Alan and I talk about developing a team culture deliberately, focusing on improving the basic skills, innovating with content creation, what we have learned from the pandemic, and about facing adversity by doing the best you can with what you have. I'm sure you will receive value and hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Please don't forget to leave a rating and a review and share the podcast to people who will as well get value. Without more introduction, let's get into my conversation with Alan Stein Jr. I would like to start a conversation um, with a brief introduction. And so if you could please talk about yourself and your journey and the book briefly to introduce those in my audience who don't know you yet, please. I'd be happy to. My name is Alan Stein Jr. I'm currently a professional keynote speaker and author of the book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. But I spent most of my career as a basketball performance coach uh, and had an opportunity to work with uh, some really elite level players and some elite level coaches uh, over a 20 year career. Uh, and I got to work with some of them at the high school level, you know, guys like Kevin Durant and Victor Oladipo uh, when they were just teenagers before they became the NBA superstars they are today. And then I was able to do some work uh, with Nike basketball, Jordan brand, USA basketball, and get to work with some iconic superstars after they had already achieved greatness. Uh, guys like the late Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Chris Paul. Uh, so I've had an opportunity to see the game's best players kind of before and after they reached that elite status. And that was the reason for writing the book uh, was to take all of the lessons and principles and mindsets that I learned from these elite players and show folks how to apply those uh, to their lives and to their businesses or to whatever it is that they want to raise their game in. Yeah, and so in the book, you talk about these three areas in which, yeah, in each of them, you talk about five characteristics uh, an, effective, an effective team should have, right? And so I would like to talk a little bit about that. And also I would like to know which of those characteristics do you think is your favorite and also the one you are best at? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that. And, and the book is divided into three sections. So you've got the player section, the coach section, and the team section. And, and I chose to use uh, sport terminology since that's what you know my background was from. But, but when I say player or coach, uh, I'm also talking to folks in the business world. You know That if you're an employee at a company, you are the player. Uh, if you are a manager or a supervisor or a director, you are the coach. Uh, and of course, whether in sport or business, I consider all of those organizations to be teams. And then yes, we broke it down into the five most important characteristics for each of those sections. Uh, and I would say uh, my favorite and probably the most important characteristic in the entire book would be self-awareness, is, yes. is getting to know yourself, uh, certainly knowing what it is that you do well, know your strengths, your talents, your passions, 
but it's also having the courage to look on the other side of the curtain and know your opportunities for growth, your weaknesses, your fears, your insecurities. So it's really important that we get to know both sides of the spectrum about ourselves so that we can perform at the highest level possible. And this is true in basketball and it's true in business. Yeah, and well, I want to, first of all, thank you for collaborating with me, but also talk about my experience with the book because actually self-awareness and culture were like my two favorite characteristics because when I read about self-awareness, I, well, I have a friend with whom I do masterminds. And so in our first mastermind, we just did exercises to be more self-aware of ourselves. And that was because of your book. So thanks for that. And also I like the part of culture because by the time I had some troubles with my team in my page and I had troubles like defining um, my values and the values for my team. And, you know, that was a problem in general, but the team made me self-aware and that's something I appreciate. And so I would like to talk more about culture and could you describe what culture is and why is it important? Most certainly. And it's important to know that, that every team, every organization, every group of people is going to have a culture. Uh, the question is whether or not you design the culture with intention or you just kind of accidentally fall into your culture. So uh, obviously every group and organization and team wants to have a winning culture, uh, a championship caliber culture. And when we talk about a winning culture, I'm not necessarily talking about winning games. Uh, I've known teams that maybe only were at 500, you know, they, they won half their games, they lost half their games, but they still very much had a winning culture that they, they performed with standards of excellence. They did the right things. They were great teammates on and off the court. Um, so it's not just about winning uh, or it's not just about turning a profit in business. It's about creating a culture that will allow you to do those things at a higher level and to sustain those for long periods of time. Uh, for simplicity's sake, and there's a lot of things that go into culture, uh, I believe culture is how well aligned your beliefs and your behaviors are. So we all have these beliefs, you know, this is our vision, this is our mission, this is our purpose, uh, this is the way that we want to live, these are our standards, and, and those things are usually fairly clear, but there has to be an alignment between those things and the way everyone on the team behaves every single day. You know, it's one thing uh, for your coach to say, okay, these are the standards that we're going to live by. But then if none of the players or coaches actually live by them, then you'd have a very poor, you know, poor culture. Um, if you say these are the standards of excellence we want to live by, and every player and every coach does their very best to live up to those standards and uphold them as consistently as possible, that would be a winning culture. So it's also the experience that everybody has, you know, with your, your organization, you know, how do the players feel about being on the team? How do the coaches feel? You know, if you're in business, how do your clients or customers feel when interacting with you? You know, if, if I were to ask you about a certain business and you give me your opinion or thoughts, having dealt with them, that's partly a reflection of their culture. So uh, if we can get behaviors and, and, and beliefs in alignment, and have everyone have a fulfilling experience, then you have a winning culture. Yeah, and that part, and that, and that, part that you talked about, uh, about leaving the culture is character, right? And I think that's a big problem with most people in general. And, uh, you know, just saying things, but not actually leaving 
what you what you're saying or what you think you you should be and yeah so now i would like to know which lesson do you think is the biggest in the book and also what lesson would you like everyone to take from it if they could just take one I would say the, the foundational lesson is the lesson I learned directly from Kobe Bryant back in 2007. And that lesson is to never get bored with the basics. That whatever it is that you're trying to be excellent at, it, it doesn't matter if it's, it's soccer or football or basketball or business or playing the piano or being a teacher, whatever it is that you aim for excellence in and you want to raise your performance, the very first step is to look at what are the basics and the fundamentals of being good at that specific thing. You know, in basketball, it's pretty obvious. It's your footwork, it's your shooting mechanics, it's how well you handle the ball. So if you want to be a really good basketball player, then you need to master your footwork and master your shooting mechanics and master your ball handling. Um, and we could say the same thing for any area of life. If you want to be an elite level teacher, if you want to be an elite level guitar player, you know, what are the basic building blocks of being really good at those things and make sure that you focus on those fundamentals during the unseen hours and that you put in repetition after repetition and they need to be purposeful, intentional reps. They can't be casual. Uh, and if, if you can, and you have uh, access to competent coaching or someone that can give you real time feedback when you're practicing those reps, like a music teacher or a coach, then you'll start to see your progress, you know, really shoot through the roof. So I would say the most important lesson in the entire book is to not get bored with the basics. And that's a hard message to sell sometimes uh, because admittedly, the basics can get boring. They can get mundane and monotonous. I mean, you know, Kobe Bryant, someone that would work on his footwork for 30 or 40 minutes every single day for his entire career. You know, that's, uh, I can understand why someone would want to skip that and to try to chase something uh, flashier or sexier or more, or more fun, but that's the mistake most people make. They skip over the basics to try to do things they're not quite ready for, uh, and then it's, they haven't built themselves on a, on a strong foundation. So I would say without question, that's the central theme of the book. Yeah, I agree. And I actually think it was you or Kobe uh, who says in the book that if everyone, yeah, if everyone did the basics, then everyone would be great, right? But because not everyone does them, not everyone is great. And yeah, and yeah. I was going to say one of the reasons for that, unfortunately, um, is it's hard to sell the basics. You know, what sells are things that are flashy and new and sexy. And that's why, you know, I love being on social media and I'm very active on social media. Uh, I use it to learn. I use it to share. I use it to engage. But I can see that on social media, everyone's always encouraging people to skip the basics. They're saying, hey, if you want to be good, you need to buy this basketball training program that's got yeah. all of these fancy ball handling <laughs> drills or these crazy shooting drills. It's like, no, that, but, but I understand why that's attractive. And I understand why a, a young player would want to do those things because they look cool. And it would be very hard to sell a training video on just doing the basics, you know, to sell a, a series of videos on just doing certain pound dribbles and, and, and certain moves like that. But that's ultimately the stuff that, that, that is the building blocks to your excellence. And um, it's very common for any of us because none of us are perfect to over time slowly start to get away from the basics and, and be attracted to these sexier things 
And then we have to get reminded to get back to those basics. So the goal is to never leave them in the first place. Uh, but I know for myself, in any area of my life, if I don't think I'm performing as well as I'm capable of, it's usually because I've gotten away from the basics. And I have to have the self-awareness to recognize that. I have to have people in my life that care enough about me to hold me accountable to that. And then I have to get back to those basic building blocks. Yeah, and well, my next question maybe is related to what we have just talked about, but I would like to know what advice would you give to your younger or teen self? You know, the funny part is uh, giving advice to my younger self would be hard because I was not a very good listener when I was younger. Uh, I was a little bit hard-headed. You know, I, I wish that I had the maturity that, that you have. Um, when I was younger, I kind of went through that stage where I thought I knew everything already. You know, I, uh, coaches would tell me something and I'd kind of roll my eyes like they don't know what they're talking about. And, and I do, I, I say that with a smile because that was part of my journey. That's part of what brought me to where I am today. Uh, so I don't say that to bash my previous self, uh, but I wish I would have been much more open to coaching, uh, much more open to, to learning and growing and developing instead of thinking that I knew everything. And, and I do think that's a rather common trait with a lot of teenagers, you know, that's kind of the rite of passage they go through. So I certainly wasn't the only one that, that was that way. Um, but, but therein lies the best advice I would give myself would be uh, put down your guard, be open and humble to listening and learning and growing, be very coachable and, and work on constantly getting better. Well, thanks. <laughs> and actually, I think that that's maybe one of the most important parts Well, not, not, not maybe, it's one of the most important parts of being a teammate, right? Being coachable. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's one of the traits of high performers. I mean, even when you get to the level of a Kobe Bryant or a Steph Curry or a Kevin Durant, you know, those guys uh, have always been very coachable. Now they're very confident in themselves and they're confident because they've earned the right to be confident by putting in the work during the unseen hours. You know, when you put in hundreds of thousands of task-specific repetitions, you're going to get very good at something. And when you get very good at something, your confidence and your self-belief will increase. So those guys are very confident. However, they do a beautiful job, a masterful job of blending that confidence with humility, where they can say, yes, I'm very good at what I do, but I'm, I can still get better. I'm very good at yeah, what I yeah. do, but I still need to be open to coaching and someone that can help me improve just a little bit. So the best of the best blend confidence with humility. Uh, when you don't, when you, when you have confidence, but you don't have humility, you're going to eventually turn that into arrogance. And that means you're going to shut yourself off. And you're, you're basically going to do what I did as a teenager. And you're going to think that you know everything. You're going to think, oh, this person's not going to help me get any better. I don't need to listen to them. So the best of the best, absolutely stay open to coaching. Yeah, and that applies to any area. Just thinking, for example, of Warren Buffett and of him reading daily, that's, I mean, astonishing and makes me think how much I still have to go through. And, well, you also mentioned many basketball players, and I took this question from, an, uh, from a podcast I heard. Uh, it was an interview to Robert Green, and I would like to know if you could write a book with another person, if you could collaborate as you did in this book, who would it be with and what would it be about? Oh my goodness. Uh, this would, I love this question. This is such a unique question. I, I've never been asked this before. 
Um, and it would be really hard for me to narrow down because I can think of a variety of people that I would just be fascinated uh, to, to co-write a book with. Um, and, you know, some of those would be rather obvious ones. They'd be people in the basketball space. You know, I've, I've always had such a strong reverence uh, for Coach K, the head coach at Duke. Um, you know, I think the world of, of Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, you know, I'm a huge Steve Nash fan. You know, a lot of those guys, those names immediately uh, pop into my mind. Uh, but I'm also equally fascinated by folks that are high performers in any other area of life. So even though basketball has always been my first love, you know, when I, I look at someone that's kind of an icon in business, you know, someone like a Warren Buffett, uh, who's been, you know, at the top of his financial game longer than I've been alive, uh, I think collaborating with him would be unbelievable. Uh, then I could even take something over to like the pop culture side, you know, somebody like Jay-Z uh, or 50 Cent, somebody that started off as kind of a solo recording artist and then eventually built, you know, massive brands in a variety of different industries, uh, I think would be uh, really, really fascinated. Uh, and I've always been enamored with uh, kind of Hollywood and, and movies and TV and, and acting and producing and cinematography. Uh, so there's a list of folks there that I think could offer some tremendous insight. So, uh, boy, I know I'm kind of all over the map and didn't really answer <laughs> yeah. your question, but but that would be so neat. And you know, I'm I'm actually writing a follow up book uh, right now, uh, which is sustain your game, which is not only once you reach high performance, but how can you keep it there for long periods of time, and and how can you uh, manage stress and avoid stagnation and uh, beat burnout. Uh, so a, a lot of my mindset has been on people that have been doing things at a high level for a really long time. You know, another one that pops into mind is, is Tom Brady, uh, the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, I mean, he spent 20 years with the New England Patriots, won six Super Bowls, is, you know, uh, many people regarded, regard him as the best quarterback of all time. And he decided just to wipe the slate clean, move down to Florida and basically yeah. start over. Uh, and I'm mesmerized by that. That that's amazing to me. So he'd be another one that I think would be really, really interesting. Yeah, or maybe a book I don't know as uh, Tools of Titans or something like that, in which you yes. interview other people. That would be very interesting. And well, well heck, you I mean, with, with you bringing that up, Tim Ferriss would be a remarkable person to yeah. do a book with. Like I've always <laughs> been enamored by him and, and fascinated by him. So yeah, it's funny you brought that up. I didn't even think about some of my favorite uh, authors and podcasters you know, uh, would, would be great. So yeah, there would be no shortage of people. Uh, the tough part would be convincing any of those people to, to write the actual book. You also talked about this new book you are, yeah, you are launching and I would like to know how will it be and yeah, just an overview of it. Most certainly. So uh, it's going to follow a very similar format to Raise Your Game. Uh, so there'll be three sections. Uh, the first section is on how do we manage stress? And that's kind of deal with things in the short term. Uh, how do we avoid stagnation? That's kind of in the midterm. And then how do we beat burnout? That's in the long term. So it'll still be the three sections and very similar to Raise Your Game, there'll be five characteristics for each of the sections. So uh, I really liked that structure from before. Um, and it will be written in a way that you don't have to read Raise Your Game to still benefit from Sustain Your Game. Uh, obviously, I would love for people to read both, and I think it's helpful if you read Raise Your Game and then read Sustain Your Game. Uh, so it's not a part two, uh, like you'd see with movies. Um, it's, it's a separate book, 
you know, uh, co conquering a separate theme. And that is once you've achieved high performance, how do you stay there? You know, how do you not let stress knock you off? Uh, how do you avoid just getting stagnant and plateaued and complacent? And then most importantly, when you've done something for 10, 20, 30 years, how do you still find the love to do it at a high level and not get burnt out? So uh, I'm having a blast writing it. I've got the same co-author, John Sternfeld, uh, as, as the first book. And uh, it's set to release either late 2021 or early 2022. Oh, I will read it and because really this has become one of my maybe top 10 reads and oh. it is very helpful you know one of my new year's resolutions is just to become better uh, at conversations so, and also in relationships and I think this book also helps me in that uh, taking in taking in account for example uh, culture and you know family culture community culture I think that's very important Awesome. Well, I appreciate that very much. I appreciate you making the time to read and, and you asked some wonderful questions about it. So your your support is is very, very much appreciated. Great. Thanks. And well, now turning a bit, a bit the conversation, I was listening to your podcast this morning and in the introduction, you see a quote, let, let me, I think it is, I want people to fear how much they love me. And so I want to know what does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, that was actually, it's kind of a joke. That's from a, uh, a show uh, that was here in the States called The Office. And Steve Carroll um, plays a character named Michael Scott, who's a likable character, but he's, he's kind of a buffoon. He's a little bit of an idiot. And, and he often takes popular quotes and he kind of mangles them so that they don't mean what you uh, expect them to mean. So yeah, he's, uh, he kind of took a, a quote or a concept there and he didn't use it in the right way. So what I like to do with my podcast, which is called the Raise Your Game Show, is uh, take some funny uh, sound bites from some different movies just to add some humor to it, you know, splice that in with some pretty cool music, uh, but then really get down to business and, and talk about some serious stuff on the show. But yeah, as a leader, uh, you really shouldn't want your people to fear you. Uh, you know, you're not there just for their ad adulation, but you're there uh, to serve them and to develop them and to, to, to earn their trust and earn their respect. But I've never been a big believer in, in leading through fear, uh, which is why, since that's kind of the opposite of what I actually believe, we thought that'd be a funny soundbite to use. Yes, <laughs> and it, it actually maybe confused some people at first, but then when they get to know you and what you do, they For sure. yeah, they get it. It's a joke. And you know, what, well, one of the things that's that's interesting with something like podcasting. Now, you know, uh, you and I are just now getting acquainted and getting to know each other. I mean, I I have a very dry, sarcastic sense of humor and. <laughs> It, one of the things that's interesting, and this is interesting for both social media and for podcasting, you know, uh, I, I released a new episode yesterday and you're going to have some people that will listen to it and they've heard every episode I've ever done. They followed me on social for two or three years. They know me and they know my sense of humor. Then you'll have other people who listen to that episode and that is the very first time they've ever heard my podcast uh, and they might not follow me on social. So this might be the very first time that they're getting exposed to, to me or my sense of humor or, or my material. And it's amazing how, how different those things can be. And it's the same thing on social. You know, I might post something on Instagram and someone is seeing it for the very first time. They know nothing about me. They've never heard of me. And then someone else is going to see it that's been following me since I started my Instagram account. And you're going to get those different perspectives. And that's why I find it 
it's it's challenging, but it's a fun challenge putting out content because you want to be able to speak to both groups. You know, you want someone that's seeing you for the first time to go, wow, this is good stuff. I want more of this. I like this guy. This is this is helpful. But then you also want the people that have been there forever to say, oh, this is new. This is fresh. He's not just saying the same stuff over and over. I want to keep following. So I find that's kind of a dance as a podcaster and as as a social content creator that you want to try to feed both groups, those that know you and have been following you loyally and those that are brand new and are just being turned on to your stuff. Yeah, you know what I will do after, well, when I do the editing of this episode, I will place that clip in the beginning to, to see what people think. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. That's a great idea. Yeah, well, and now I will, I would like to know what have you learned recently or discovered that you would like to share to us? Yeah, this pandemic has been, been fascinating on a variety of different levels. Um, you know, I, I think, I don't know that I necessarily learned a lot. Uh, just about the pandemic, but I certainly was reminded of a lot of things and a lot of things were reinforced. You know, I mean, uh, I've known my whole life that it's important to be thankful and be grateful for the things that you have. And I think this pandemic uh, reminded me of that, that, you know, it's easy to sit around and, and complain and bellyache about some of the inconveniences from a quarantine. Um, but, but I've been healthy. My children have been healthy. I've still been able to earn a living doing virtual presentations. Like in the large spectrum of things, my life is pretty good. And, and I need to be grateful and thankful for that. Uh, it also reminded me that, that speaking is what I do. It's not who I am. You know, at my core, uh, I am a coach. I am a teacher. Uh, I'm someone that wants to fill other people's buckets and help them raise their game. Uh, because it, when the pandemic first hit, you know, all speaking engagements got postponed and canceled. I mean, there, there was no more being in person on stage, uh, which is how I make my living. So I had to, to pivot quickly and say, okay, if I can't do that anymore, how can I still be of service to other people? How can I still add value to organizations? And, and certainly the answer to that was, was doing virtual stuff and webinars and presentations and podcasts. Um, so it was a good reminder that speaking is what I do. It's, it's not who I am. Um, and then lastly, uh, it just reminded me how important self-care is, how important our mental health is, that you know, during these times where some people are really struggling, that it's okay to not be okay. Uh, it, it's okay to yeah. feel a little depressed. It's okay to feel down in the dumps. Uh, don't make that worse by feeling guilty or shameful for that. You know, there's nothing now, now granted, no one wants to feel bad. No one wants to feel depressed or anxious, but when you feel those things, it's okay. You're normal and you're not alone by any means. And what I say about mental health right now, um, if you're handling everything really, really well and you're optimistic, you're positive, you're in good spirits, just know and have some compassion and empathy for the fact that other people aren't. And that there are people out there that are struggling and they're really down in the dumps and do everything you can to reach out to those people, to help them, to support them, to care for them. Um, you know, if you're feeling good, you need to help those that aren't. Then on the flip side of that, if you're not feeling good, you are depressed, you're anxious, you know, uh, you're having some mental health issues, give yourself some grace and compassion and know that it's okay know that you're not alone and do the best you can to, to, to reach out and ask for some help. 
You know, if, if you're a younger person, a teenager, you know, ask an adult, talk to an adult. Uh, if you are an adult, see if you can talk to one of your peers. Uh, there should be no shame in asking for help. And there should be no shame in reaching out to someone and saying, you know what, I've been in a funk for a few weeks now. I'm just not myself. I'm irritable. I'm grouchy. I'm sad. You know, I find myself crying for no reason. Like there should not be any shame behind in, behind any of that. We should all be able to to reach out and ask for help when we need it, uh, because that will always ebb and flow. You know, if right now I happen to be in really high spirits and very optimistic, I just need to know there'll be other points in my life where I'm not feeling that way, where I'm feeling a little bit low, uh, and vice versa. So it's very important that we understand both sides of that. Yeah, and well, three things here. So first about the mental health, yeah, I agree because maybe some misconceptions there are about personal development is that you always have to feel good and that you won't have any problems. And, you know, and well, just a brief shout out to Ryan Mannion because in my last episode, I had him in, the, in an interview and we actually talked about that. And well, then second, actually, yeah, in this pandemic, well, in the pandemic in general, <laughs> I discovered yeah, I discovered more about myself and I maybe was grateful, but not as I should before this happened. And well, a third, you talked about, you know, all these webinars and online events. And I would like to know, do you think that will just last forever? That besides uh, the, you know, uh, in-person events when the pandemic's over and all that, Will this online stuff still continue as it is and maybe uh, get to the level where in-person events are? Or what's your point of view there? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, first and foremost, yeah, I, I can't predict the future, but my hunch is uh, it's going to be twofold. Uh, one, I think the in-person events coming back is going to be a gradual process. Uh, I don't think it's going to be, you know, on this date, the whole world's going to open up and we're going to start having events. I think it's going to be rather slow. What I think will happen, I think it will start with smaller events. So a, a company might bring in a speaker just to talk to their company, uh, maybe talk to 30 or 40 people. And then you might see some, some smaller regional events, but most of these will be smaller, you know, maybe less than 100 people. Uh, then if, if we can prove that those can be done safely uh, and, and not spread COVID anymore, uh, then I think that will start to open up to some bigger events. Uh, my guess is we're probably still at least a year away from some really massive events. You know, when, when you're on stage in Las Vegas speaking to 4,000 people, I think that's going to be a while. But I think gradually we'll start to see the in-person stuff uh, come back. And I certainly hope so. Uh, and to me, what's most important um, is doing so in a very responsible and conscious way. You know, that, that I think people are dying to get back together. I think they're, 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 they're craving that in-person camaraderie and cohesion and connection, and they're looking forward to getting back to events. But we just have to make sure that we don't rush that process uh, and, and cause any type of backslide. Uh, it's very similar to an athlete. You know, let's just say that, that you're a soccer player uh, and you suffer an ACL injury, you know, to your knee, and you're out for almost an entire year rehabbing. Well, if you love soccer, you're dying to get back out on the field. You can't wait to play again. And what a lot of athletes do uh, <clears throat> is they end up skipping steps in, in their physical therapy and they try to rush back on the field before they're actually ready. And what happens is they get injured again. So as much as they want to be back out on the field and playing, they have to have the patience and the discipline 
to take their time to actually get there. And it's the same thing with the opening of events. Um, I can't wait to be back on stage. There's nothing I'd rather be doing than speaking in person, but I don't wanna rush that in an irresponsible way. Now, with that said, uh, I think that this pandemic has proven that the virtual model works and that you can actually serve people to a high level doing things virtually. So I, I firmly believe that virtual is not going anywhere. Uh, in fact, uh, I think you'll see a higher percentage of events convert over to virtual just to save money and to save some travel uh, and wear and tear on their people. Uh, I think you'll also see virtual used to supplement and reinforce in-person events. Uh, for example, let's just say that, that you have a company of 100 salespeople uh, and I come down to Mexico City and I, I speak to your company in person. Uh, we do a three-hour workshop. And then when I leave, then every month after that, we do an online follow-up. So, you know, for three straight months after that, we do kind of a webinar to reinforce the things that I shared in person. So instead of getting me once, you'll be getting me, say, four times in this example, which would, would, would absolutely uh, improve behavior change and culture change and those types of things. So I, I think virtual will absolutely uh, be here for a long time and will be used in, in new and innovative ways. And, and that's something I'm very, very thankful for. Yeah, I think that the book here example was a pretty good comparison to what is happening. And I have a personal question. So you are very into the basketball world and yeah, does it affect much to the players not having any crowd that is, you know, shouting at them and supporting them? It absolutely has an effect. I think the ones that really and truly love the game and that just want to play, it has less of an effect on them. I think the super elite players that, that are so in the moment and so present um, it has less of an effect on them. You know, I, I've talked to some of my guys before and uh, some of the times when they're playing, they even forget that there's a crowd full of people because they're so dialed into the present moment. And, and I do think the guys are, are just thankful to have an opportunity to play. Uh, I'm sure that if you polled every single player in the NBA, they would all prefer to have a sold out stadium of screaming fans. I mean, that, that makes it more fun. You know, they like being able to entertain and perform for others. You know, they, they value and appreciate their fans. Um, so that would certainly be a preference, but I think they're, they're doing okay in spite of that. Uh, and I've been so impressed uh, specifically with the NBA. Uh, at what a high level they're able to play even without fans. You know, I actually expected there to be a little bit of a drop-off, uh, but I remember watching even when they were in the bubble in Orlando, I was so impressed uh, with the high quality of play, despite the fact that a, a big puzzle piece was, was now missing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. What do you say uh, about the, you know, the finals, I think it was in the bubble in Orlando. I saw maybe one of one or two games and yeah I, I i don't watch much uh basketball but i did see a good level and that's i think an important part also for the players to keep their mental health right yes absolutely yeah i mean it's we all have to acknowledge that this pandemic has been a massive disruption uh for going on almost one year now and that um, a lot of things have been disrupted and a lot of things are, are inconvenient. A lot of things are not the way that we'd prefer them to be, but we have to learn some, some level of acceptance and just say, yes, I wish I could go out to a restaurant uh, and eat with friends. I wish that I could go to the grocery store and not have to wear a mask. 
I wish that the movie theater was open. Uh, and that's okay to want those things. But at present, we have to have some acceptance that, that that's not the way that they are. And we also have to know that when things do get back to some sense of normal, it's not going to be exactly like it used to be. There's going to be a lot of things that are different. Uh, and we have to be willing to accept that and, and pivot through that. And one of the worst things we can do, especially during times of adversity, which only compounds the adversity, is to blame, complain, and make excuses. You know, I know that those things are easy to do. And in all of human history, there's probably never been a better time to blame, complain, or make an excuse. I mean, there's, there's no shortage of things to complain about right now. But that stuff doesn't help. It doesn't improve your situation. It doesn't move you forward. Uh, it's not, you know, an attractive trait that wants to bring other people close to you. So even if you feel like blaming the pandemic for the way, you know, why things aren't going well or making an excuse on why you can't be doing something or just sitting around complaining that the world's not the way you wish it was, uh, while I can understand those feelings, they're unacceptable. And, and there's lots of things in life that are understandable, but that doesn't mean they're acceptable. So one of the best things everyone listening to this can do to, to really improve your mindset is to try to reduce blaming, complaining, and making excuses. And in order to do that, you'll adopt the philosophy of, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have where I am. You know, right now, I would prefer to be standing on a stage in Las Vegas with a thousand people in the audience. I can't do that. But what I can do is sit here in my office in Washington, D.C., and stare right at the webcam and deliver a message with the exact same passion and conviction and hope that it, it still resonates. Uh, that's the best I can do with what I have where I am. And, and, and I need to give that my best effort and my full attention and focus. Yeah, and well, I actually thank you for that, for your energy and for all, I mean, again, your support. And well, now turning a bit the conversation back into learning, I would like to know if there are any good book recommendations you have. Any book recommendations? Yeah. Yeah, boy, there's a, a long list. And, <laughs> you know, um, the best thing someone can do, and, <clears throat> and I don't know when this will air or how this will air, uh, but there's actually, uh, if you go to my website, allensteinjr.com backslash free, you can download a free PDF that has 13 books that I recommend everybody reads. Uh, the title of it is Eight Books Leaders Must Read, but I couldn't pick it just eight. So I ended up adding five additional ones. So I believe it's 13 total books. Um, and I don't have them committed to memory right now. That's why I didn't rattle them off. But I know the books on that list are really, really, really solid. Um, I'm a voracious reader myself. You know, as of late, uh, because I've really gotten into running, one of the pivots I've made because of the pandemic, uh, I've been listening to a lot of audio books more than I've been reading physical books. Uh, but to me, it doesn't matter which you know, which method you prefer, as long as you're taking in new information uh, and you're acting on that information, that's what's most important. So whether somebody wants to read Raise Your Game or listen to Raise Your Game, doesn't matter to me, as long as they, uh, they put those principles into action. And it'd be the same with any of the books I'd recommend. Yeah, and keeping learning is part of, you know, being proactive and developing the culture and the character, even though there's a pandemic and everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And well, um, I think I don't have any more like actual questions, uh, but I would like to know what are like your plans uh, besides from the new book uh, for the future and also where can people find you? 
Most certainly. Well, one of the shifts that I'm making this year is I'm still going to post on traditional social media. So I'm still going to post on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, um, but I'm going to start putting much more of an emphasis on my podcast, which you mentioned earlier, uh, on my YouTube channel, which is is just getting going, uh, and in my email newsletter. You know, I find that that those three platforms. Um, are better suited for some really deep and rich content uh, to put out. So uh, as much as I, I do want to engage and, and have folks follow along on social, uh, I would love for folks to dive into those three platforms for some really, really in-depth uh, content. Um, you can find me at Alan Stein Jr. Uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. And my website is at Alan Stein Jr., uh, and certainly if you're interested in the book, uh, just search Raise Your Game by Alan Stein Jr. Uh, you can search it in Audible or on iTunes if you want to get the audio book, or you can search for it on Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books. Perfect. And well, is there anything else you would like to add? No, this has been wonderful. I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, this, this has been a real treat, and I really and truly appreciate all of your support. Hey again, it's me. I hope you did receive value and enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram as the transformation underscore journey or as the reader lounge. Also, please subscribe and leave a rating so you don't miss an episode. And to finish, share this episode with someone on your team. It takes less than a minute and you will benefit too. Thanks again. Peace.